Amos Oz died on December 28th. His novels were translated from Hebrew into dozens of languages, and he also wrote for The Nation. I spoke with Amos Oz in 2004. After September 11th, many American supporters of Israel's current policy of occupation uh, said to the Americans, now you know. Now you know what it's like to face militant Islamic extremism. Now you know the feeling of uh, a need for revenge. Now you know why we aren't making peace with our enemies. I wonder what you think about that that uh, sentiment, uh, that message, now you know. Much too simple. Much too simple. Indeed, there is a universal wave of fanaticism and fundamentalism. Islamic, but not only Islamic. There are many forms of fanaticism and fundamentalism. Indeed, we all have to combat, combat this fanaticism in all its forms. But the sad and painful facts of life in Israel slash Palestine remain. That small country is still the homeland of two nations, not one. Both of them have nowhere else to go. They cannot share the house like one happy family because the Israelis and the Palestinians are not one. They are not happy and they are not family either. They are two families. We have to divide the house and turn it into a two-family unit. I think it's known in English as a semi-detached house. (laughs) And this solution has been the only solution and remains the only solution, whether the neighbors are sweet and nice or not. In fact, if they were sweet and nice, or if we were sweet and nice, maybe this kind of solution would not be necessary. Uh, September 11th only emphasizes the need to resolve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict in a fair and just compromise. Now, now I understand that the um, the Orthodox uh, believe that... Uh, God wants the Jews to live on the west bank of the Jordan. Am I am I being unfair here? No, I think you may be unfair to God, but not to the <laughs> Orthodox. I think God might have a certain dispute about this with Allah. And I don't see why God and Allah cannot sort this out between the two of them without involving so many innocent lives in this disagreement. Human beings who do not have direct access to God need a livable compromise. Well, for of course, for a long time, for decades, you you have uh, criticized the Israeli settlements on on the West Bank. Then, in January, this new issue arose when the uh, Palestinian Authority raised what they called the right to return to pre nineteen sixty seven Israel, from which Palestinians had been evicted, forced to leave, intimidated into leaving back to nineteen forty eight. I understand that in January you signed a newspaper ad in Israel uh, with other peace movement uh, uh, figures urging Palestinians to abandon their demand for a right to uh, return, and the Palestinian Authority basically rejected that position at at that time. Uh, This led many peace activists in Israel and here to conclude that the PLO did not want peace with Israel. They wanted it all. I wonder if that you came to that conclusion at that point. I think it is a very important thing that Israeli peace activists, Israeli doves like myself, made it crystal clear to our Palestinian partners in conversation that this is where the red line lies. If they want one Palestinian state next door to Israel, that's all right. If they want two Palestinian states, 
one in Palestine, one in Israel, this is out of the question and it's not negotiable. I think it brought some of the Palestinians to reassess their position once they have realized that on this issue of the so-called Palestinian right of return, not into Palestine but into Israel, there is no diversion between doves and hawks in Israel. The answer is no. No way. No deal. This is a non-starter. Yet I am utterly convinced that sooner or later, I can't give you a schedule, a timetable, sooner or later a two-state solution, Jewish Israel and Palestinian Arab Palestine, this solution is going to materialize. Whether it will take long time or short time depends precisely on how strong the peace forces on both sides are. This is no longer a conflict between Jew and Arab. It is a conflict between pragmatists on both sides and fanatics and fundamentalists on both sides. This is where the dividing line goes. And on the Israeli side, those fanatics and fundamentalists are focused on maintaining the settlements and expanding them. Uh, what, what would it take to close down the settlements? And would this be a civil war for Israel? I don't think so. When Ehud Barak, Prime Minister Barak, proposed a two-state solution and a removal of most of the settlements, the public opinion polls showed that about 70% of Jewish Israel was willing to be behind him, although with clenched teeth. I don't think it will involve a civil war, internal civil war, although we are not immune to episodes, individual episodes of internal violence, I'm afraid. And uh, I, I wonder what what role you think the United States can play, should play. The United States, of course, uh, under Jimmy Carter, brokered the peace treaty with the Egyptians. Ever since then, we've given, the United States has given the Egyptians uh, about a couple of billion dollars a year in the military and uh, financial aid as a reward. What can the United States do? What should the United States do? I think it will be very helpful if the United States, rather than wagger its finger, at this party or that party, would come forth with a livable solution, not the details, but the grand scheme of a livable solution, which both sides are prepared for in their heart of hearts. And if the United States could bring Egypt, Saudi Arabia and Jordan to endorse such a pragmatic solution. Amos Oz, one last question. We've been talking about uh, politics. How do you prevent politics from taking over every minute of, of your waking life? How do, you, how do you have a private life? I draw a very strict line. Each time I find that I agree with myself 100%, I don't write a story. I write an angry article telling my government what to do, sometimes telling it where to go altogether. But each time I find that I'm in a slight disagreement with myself, when I can hear more than just one voice in me, that's when I know I'm pregnant with a story or a novel. Now I have two different pens on my desk, very simple ball pens, which I buy for $2 or the equivalent of. But one of them is blue, the other is black, one for writing political essays, the others for novels and stories. So I draw a very distinct line and I try not to mix. These are two different usages of language. And, and on your typical day, do you do both of these things? Or are there some days, weeks, and months where, where you do nothing but, uh, but politics all the time? I only do politics when I get very angry. I never write a political analysis for scholarly reasons. When I am enraged, that's when I pick up the 
one of those bold pens and write an angry article. Otherwise, I'm a storyteller. I only write politics for, for rage. Well, Amos Az, I want to thank you for coming into the studio today. Thank you, John. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Thank you.